1: My returning guest on today's show is Jonathan Nelson, venture capitalist and managing director of the Hack Fund. Jonathan and I will be discussing how over 90% of venture capital happens in Silicon Valley and China, and how Jonathan is moving to help startups around the world get access to that type of capital. And he's doing that by taking the Hack Fund into an IPO on the London Stock Exchange. And so don't go away as we talk more about that. In this week's tech news, the big story is that Uber and Lyft are threatening to close operations until at least the elections. And they're doing that because in the state of California that a recent judge decision was that Uber and Lyft needed to reclassify their drivers from independent contractors to employees. And of course, by doing so, this will cause Uber and Lyft's internal costs to increase greatly when you have to offer all the same benefits and perks that you do to full-time employees. And Uber's and Lyft are also saying that they will be passing those costs on to the consumer, making the cost of rides go up significantly. I am sure this will not be the last we hear of this, and it's yet to be seen whether Uber and Lyft will follow through on their threat to halt operations in California. In a very troubling headline, it was announced that a ventilator manufacturer was subject to a ransomware attack. Now, the good news is that it is not the physical device. It's not the ventilator itself. There's always concern that at some point, hackers will be able to infiltrate a device, take it over, and cause a lot of problems for the patient, up to and including death. But in this case, it was the data that the device manufacturer is collecting that was locked down by ransomware. It is not yet known if any of the data was actually stolen or exfiltrated, But it is, again, very concerning that ransomware is a part of this. And this company is interesting. It was a transportation communication company that was pivoting to produce these ventilators. So it doesn't look like they had very strong data protection privacy. And that is the Tech News of the Week. Welcome back to the show. Once again, I'm joined by my special guest, Jonathan Nelson, who is the managing director of the Hack Fund and the founder of Hackers and Founders. Welcome back, Jonathan. Thanks for having me, Keith. Great to be here. So it's always great to have you. Uh, We've done a show before that really dived deep into your background, and that was called Disrupting the VC Model a couple years back on Silicon Valley Insider. But I wanted to catch up with you. I know that there's a lot going on, especially with COVID-19. First Mm. of all, what's happening with you and Hack?
2: So we were initially actually thinking that this was going to be um, creating a digital Basically, publicly traded venture fund with blockchain stock certificates. Um, The challenge was, was that people didn't actually believe that we could do this legally, even though I actually was on an SEC advisory committee. I called the SEC, I gave them the roadmap, I did the whole thing. Um, We were just kind of getting a lot of pushback on that. And roughly about the same time, the London Stock Exchange actually reached out to us and they asked for some help in building out their business line of being a stepping stone listing for companies outside of Silicon Valley to actually IPO. Um, And so we've actually been working with them for a year or two, actually kind of helping them build their brand across Latin America. We have a couple of companies from Latin America, one from Africa that we're actually talking to about potentially listing on the London AIM Stock Exchange. And they also let us know about, they have a publicly traded venture capital program, which is basically what I was trying to achieve on the blockchain. Um, And so last, uh, about nine months ago, we ended up getting approved by the London Stock Exchange to actually take our fund to IPO. We've been in a bit of a holding pattern because of Brexit. Um, (laughs) You know, we were waiting for the election in December to actually happen, January things were looking back up. Uh, We had actually planned to do an IPO this June, July of this year and then COVID actually hit. And so we're, you know, kind of in a holding pattern until things settle down in the UK a little bit more and capital markets, you know, perk back up before we actually do the roadmap. But our our plan is to actually take a venture fund to IPO in London um, early next year.
1: So so two questions, two follow-up questions. One, how does the process taking it into the London Stock Exchange versus doing it in the United States. I think I'd be interested in knowing the difference there. And then the second question, which I'll, I'll come back to, is then how is the landscape different for the companies you're bringing into London Stock Exchange versus how you would normally approach it here in the United States?
2: Yeah, no, I, I, I did a lot of work when I was at when I was advising the SEC on capital formation, and I think we talked about this the last the last time. Is that you know capital follows liquidity and when the vast majority of the world's tech IPOs and mergers and acquisitions it's like 85 to 90% of them happen in silicon valley or china have, yes or, or yes. china and you have all of these emerging startup hubs around the globe that are struggling to get capital why because the startups can't promise their com- you know promise their investors an IPO and so it becomes this chicken and egg sort of scenario and so um, we've been looking for a solution to that. What's interesting about the London Stock Exchange, and at this point, I've talked to 14 stock exchanges worldwide, is, A, I think that they probably have one of the world's best-in-class small-cap IPO programs. You could, if you're actually doing about $10 million a year in revenue and you're growing 30 to 50% year over year, you can IPO on the London Stock Exchange. Then you can actually raise subsequent rounds of capital and um, on the London Stock Exchange being publicly traded, you can also access public debt markets, which is actually really interesting for a founder and CEO to be able to grow your company that way. The costs there are about 10 to 20% of doing an IPO in the United States. Just the regulatory framework is a lot lighter. They have a bit of a unique way of how they actually regulate startups. You as a company, you end up hiring a regular call a nominated advisor, who becomes your investment bank, your broker, and your regulator. So they're responsible ultimately to the government and the public markets, that all of things are copacetic, as opposed to my hiring a very high-priced law firm at, you know, one to two thousand dollars an hour to do a thousand hours worth of legal work to actually file my SEC file. I
1: was just talking to a startup about an hour before our recording and their eyes dropped, you know, the eyes popped out of their head, their mouth dropped that it was that expensive. It's to IPO in the United States requires
2: three to five million dollars to get an IPO off the ground and then two to three million dollars a year in maintenance. Um, That's just your legal and accounting costs. In the UK, you're looking at three to 500k to get the IPO off the ground, maybe 700 on the top end, and then you're looking about another three to 400k a year um, in maintenance. And so, it's it's a very appealing option, I think, for a lot of startups. We're looking at some startups in the Midwest, a lot of startups in emerging markets, and hopefully that this will actually be an answer to this chicken and egg problem of promising your investors an exit. If you're a startup in Uruguay or Mexico or Nigeria or the Middle East or Eastern Europe or Western Europe, for crying out loud, so that we can actually start to get some IPOs going, start making some money for the founders and the entrepreneurs and the investors in those companies to actually really kickstart these innovation ecosystems globally.
1: So when we get back, let's start talking about those locations you just mentioned, because I think that'd be very interesting, especially with all the disruption happening in the market right now. So you're listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Special guest is Jonathan Nelson, Managing Director of the Hack Fund. We're talking all about investing, alternative ways of investing outside of Silicon Valley, and we'll be right back.
0: For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo.
1: Welcome back to the show. Once again, my special guest today is Jonathan Nelson, Managing Director of the Hack Fund and the founder of Hackers and Founders. We're talking all about the VC landscape and alternative ways to raise capital given the market conditions. Welcome back, Jonathan. Thank you very much, Keith. Always great to be here, man. So Jonathan, if you had a magic wand, what do you think the next three to five years looks like for startups? If I had
2: a magic wand, I would want startups from around the globe just to have an equal chance at, you know, raising capital at building a company as startups in Silicon Valley actually have. That's, you know, the weird thing about hackers and founders is we're just this global network of entrepreneurs that have been getting together and kind of helping each other out. And, you know, if I'm an entrepreneur in Colombia, or if I'm an entrepreneur in Nigeria, or even Atlanta, for crying out loud, or Chicago, Indiana, um... You know, my chances of accessing capital, of being able to build a large, significant tech company are are dramatically lower than if I, you know, if I'm in Palo Alto. Um, And so my goal is to try to level that playing field. And with the idea that a rising tide is going to lift all boats, that will help Silicon Valley companies as well if there's a lot more kind of global tech companies growing.
1: This leads me to some follow-up questions. With the Silicon Valley, we talked about it earlier, between us and China, we generate 85 to 90% of all capital in the world. I think it's more of a 60-30 split between Silicon Valley and China. And we've talked about it many times before, 10% is left for the entire rest of the world. How do you get the word out to these potential startups that programs like the Hack Fund exist? And then, How do you then marry that with the potential for existing Silicon Valley, Chinese investors, and then also to complicate things in Silicon Valley, a lot of that money that's concentrated here comes from sovereign wealth funds and other funders. So how do you coalesce all that together? What's your vision for that?
2: So our vision for that is really kind of building a set of financial tools and some infrastructure to kind of, start to flatten that to help companies actually get to IPO. Um, To help other funds IPO their companies. Um, To help more mergers and acquisitions kind of happen worldwide. Um, Although I suspect that there's gonna be a big change in that market coming up with the regulatory pressures coming from Congress. You know, you just had, you know, Apple, Google, facebook and amazon amazon ceos in front of congress and you have 48 attorney state attorney generals um putting together antitrust litigation like it's going to be a really stormy next couple of years for antitrust and regulation in silicon valley and that's really going to chill the whole merger and acquisition market so you're going to see i think a lot more m a coming out of china Um, you're going to see a lot more activity coming out of chinese companies as well as, you know, if my exit plan in Silicon Valley was I'm going to flip my company to Google for a billion bucks, um, I think that's going to have to change quite a bit.
1: Great point. And I'd add on top the complexity of just the whole current relational gap between the U.S. and China as well. Yeah, um, CFIUS is definitely much more active now than it was in the previous administration. So yeah. I, I totally agree with you. So then... Back to the question of how do startups find the hack fund and find folks like you? That's
2: really never been one of my problems. Like we have this weird network of, you know, we've had events in 200 cities around the globe. Now we've had over 350,000 tech entrepreneurs attend our hackers and founders events. Usually somebody knows someone who's been to a hackers and founders event at some point. Um, our events have slowed down now right now because of covid like no one's getting together in bars worldwide to talk about startups and so we have a decent social presence but if people want to go to hackfund.com they can do that um, and generally we just i get 10 15 people a day reaching out to me asking me for funding um, advice feedback mentoring that sort of stuff and we try to process those as efficiently as possible unfortunately sometimes i let some balls drop but um, uh, that's really been kind of what we've been doing is word of mouth. You know, we've also been mentoring for, there was a hackathon called EU versus the virus uh, mm-hmm. this past summer. There was like 25,000 people, and we were actually one of the teams that were mentoring, and I spoke for a number of their, you know, kind of live streams that they actually ended up doing. I think I was one of the few people from Silicon Valley participating in that. And so we just, You know, we're out and about, we're out there, and we have a really large community. um, And that's generally how people find out about what
1: we're It's an impressive community. Why don't you spout out some of the numbers in your community? It's it's quite impressive. Yeah, we've actually had events
2: in over 200 cities around the globe. I believe we've actually been in about 60 countries. um, And we've had over 350,000 people attend our events over the last decade or more. Pre-COVID, in any given month, you had, you know, 20 to 50 hackers from small, you know, handful of people getting together in a pub to, you know, larger events. We actually just last week had our inaugural event online in Quito, Ecuador. We had 150 tech entrepreneurs attend uh, a Zoom event in Ecuador, which is getting ravaged by coronavirus right now. Oh, yeah, Um, yeah and so what's what's interesting to me is vast majority of about half of the world actually has access to broadband and so if i'm a geek i'm a laptop i can code and i have access to a broadband internet i have access to all the open source software that people in silicon valley do so i can build software i can build a technology company What's missing a lot of times is the capital, the mentoring, helping grow my company outside of Ecuador to the rest of Latin America. And so that's really been kind of our bread and butter the last you know couple of years is really helping companies expand out of their small local markets and help them grow into others.
1: Yeah, it's good to know. I, we do a lot of mentoring. One of my business partners, Ed, who's a CTO, he's worked on 60 Startups. We would love to get involved with how to help mentor these companies that you're mentoring because that is definitely a passion of ours. You mentioned coronavirus in Quito Mm. I think that coronavirus in general makes us all have kind of a pause, a stop, drop, and roll moment. And so what is your thoughts? Because we talked about the regulatory environment. What are your thoughts about COVID-19? How is that affecting the community? And how is that both affecting the U.S. community and the international community? So I have a weird background in
2: that I was actually an ER and trauma nurse, and I actually worked through H1N1 and SARS as an emergency room nurse. And I had the misfortune of, like, stacking bodies in a dirty utility room because the morgue was full. Um, And that no one had ever, you know, no one really heard about that. But I worked in some, you know, kind of off the beaten path emergency rooms. I had very limited resources. And when this started happening, I burned my nursing license eight years ago. And when this started happening, I'm like, oh, my gosh, here we go again. And this is going to be really bad this time. I think that the business lasca- landscape has changed dramatically, and probably a number of the changes that are actually happening are permanent. Um, like I, we have executive roundtables on a monthly basis with you know senior execs from multinationals, and things that I'm hearing from them are statements like, "Our strategy last year was digital first. Now our strategy our strategy is digital only." Everybody is working remote right now.
1: I'm going to pause you right there because I want to come right back to that topic in our next segment. Yeah. I think it'll be really interesting to hear what the strategy is Mm -hmm. in dealing with uh, all the playbooks get thrown out the window so you and I can both talk about that. You're listening to Silicon Valley Insider. Special guest today is Jonathan Nelson, Managing Director of the Hack Fund, founder of Hackers and Founders, International VC, and Community If you have any questions or comments on how to get a hold of Jonathan the Hack Fund, email us at info at svn.biz. And we'll be right back with more with Jonathan.
0: For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Kuh.
1: Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Kuh. Once again, my guest today has been venture capitalist Jonathan Nelson of the Hack Fund. Jonathan and I have been discussing how he and team are working to raise their next fund via the London Stock Exchange in order to serve the startup community around the world. In this week's Cyber Tip, I'm going to talk about a phishing attack, but instead of it being purely technical, instead of opening up an email with a link, this is actually old school, this is where hackers have taken the SBA loan application, and I know that the loan period just closed, but they took the loan application, modified it, and put in their own email addresses, which are very close to the SBA's email addresses or to the funder's email address, and then modified the application so that you may be giving up sensitive information, such as your personal information, your company information, and quite possibly your bank information, in order for people to then steal all that sensitive data and be able to spoof who you are. So our recommendation is this, whenever you are filling out a form, whether it be online or you download it and filling it out manually, be sure you know where the form came from. I always want to go directly to the source. In this case, it was the SBA website. Go there, download the forms from there, validate that it's the correct form and fill that out instead of relying on a form that's been sent to you by someone else or that you've picked up. Because in this day and age, you really can't trust anything you see since it's so easy to spoof these forms. And that's the Cyber Tip of the Week. Welcome back to the show. Once again, my special guest is Jonathan Nelson, Managing Director of the Hack Fund, founder of Hackers and Founders. Welcome back, Jonathan. Thank you much. Early in the show, we were talking about something very interesting, how the strategy is changing some of the conversations you're having in light of COVID-19, especially for startups and investors. So you're starting to get into some of that feedback. So why don't you continue?
2: Yeah, no. and, And so a lot of the big companies that I'm actually coming across, all of them are, you know, there is this buzz called digital transformation. Um, And everybody was like, you know, how do we transform our business model digitally? Now, if you're not completely digital in terms of your business, you're dying as a business. Um, Or, you know, you have to figure out what is your pandemic pivot yesterday. And every corporation worldwide is going through this. And my clinical background in healthcare leads me to believe that this is probably going to last another three or four years. Like we need to be able to get 5.4 billion vaccines into people before this goes away. So how do you as a startup actually start thinking about and how do you actually help these larger businesses do work and do business? And so a number of companies in the B2B space are just taking off. I mean, Zoom, obviously, Yes. Microsoft Teams, Slack, you know, all of those. But every major enterprise around the world, every bank, every retail, every supply chain, everybody is trying to figure out how do we do business in light of this pandemic? And I think people are starting to settle into this might be a while. Again, my thesis is that this is gonna be three or four years. I hope I'm wrong. Um, I will be happy to be proved wrong. But if you're a startup, you know you actually have a competitive advantage. My guess is you're probably used to working remote. You're used to working lean, you're used to working digital. And the trick is, is how do you actually talk to some of these larger companies and ask them what their problems are and build a product to solve their problems? That, I think, needs to be a lot of companies' pandemic pivot right now is how do you actually help companies and larger companies start to manage kind of you know the new normal of business and working remote?
1: It's a great observation that you just made. And coincidentally, uh, I recently had Dan Scheiman, first investor of Zoom. He gave startup advice. He was talking about really right now, similar to what you're saying, adding on to you you should have two years of runway, ideally as a startup. Mm -hmm. If you have two years of runway, then you have a lot of options in terms of riding out the storm on not just desperately taking the first deal that maybe a vulture capitalist throws Mm -hmm. at you. Yep. And I know you're definitely not a vulture capitalist. I really appreciate your approach to investing. We had Alan Linwan, who's the head of engineering of Slack. Mm. He was the CTO of Service, now the CTO of Zynga. Yep. He was talking about the stuff that Slack is doing to empower okay. communities. Uh, Slack is actually have a feature now to have cross-organizational Slack channels. Mm-hmm. Right? And this is all to the point of digital transformation is now in your rearview mirror. Many people know that my background is in both technology but also in banking, and when it comes to mm-hmm. banking, it's more technology risk. so we talk mm-hmm. about technology risk and i and I say this a lot. We go through risk analysis risk management as a regulation, and so mm-hmm. that means that we do we do these tabletop exercises. we go through what happens if there was a traumatic event. We talk about the flood, which is Fukushima. we talk about what happens in a hurricane, an earthquake, even a economic crisis, but nobody ever. Since the turn of the century, the 1900s, ever actually did a tabletop on a real pandemic. But we know they happen. See, pandemics do happen, but we never actually did any of the playbook exercises to see what happens during a pandemic. And now, everyone, typical regulator, early in the show, Jonathan was talking about the crushing weight of regulations here in the United States. Typical regulators show me your playbook on a pandemic. And everyone's like, really? <laughs> <laughs> and so, so you, you apply that, I mean, I use banks as the uh, worst case example before you get to nuclear energy, but you talked about these normal enterprises, these mm-hmm. big companies, they have these playbooks, but not for a pandemic. It's certainly not for the backup on what do we do in our digital catalog, because we didn't think about that. So now everyone's rushing towards digital. So I, I do think where you talk about the startups, the ones that have a digital play, and can make it two years a worst case? No, absolutely. And, and
2: you know, I mean, we have startups that are doing uh, in our portfolio that were doing well last year. And now we're doing, you know, a billion dollars in, you know, market transactions that are happening on their platform. And it's a company that helps, you know, retail businesses do online to offline. Um And, you know, they're exploding. We have, you know, in Latin America, we have one of the companies that actually manages uh, one of the largest economies, Latin America, is cash payments to poor people. Um, And they have a cybersecurity solution that enables, you know, ID so that you can actually, the government can hand an envelope of cash to a poor person in a rural village without internet access. They can, you know, biometrically identify that person and actually prevent fraud and that sort of stuff. You know, they're doing um
1: Is that a remittance
2: platform and if it is blockchain or not blockchain? Uh, It's not blockchain related right now. And it's just a, you know, biometric ID, you know, to a biometric ID card and a terminal that operates off grid. Okay. Um, And then when it comes back on grid, you know, all of the stuff gets uploaded to the cloud and all of the settlement is actually made, but you know, they're doing a billion dollars in payments a year. And, And so, And a number of other governments around the globe were like, hey, can you tell me about this? How does this work? Um, I mean, this is a Darwinian moment for businesses. This is, you know, a lot of businesses are gonna have to evolve or die. And if you're a startup, you know, what is your pandemic pivot? Um, You know, grab cash and cash up, you know, slash your burn rate and then, you know, figure out, you know, how do you actually take advantage of this? Um, I was talking to a senior exec at at a financial institution, and one of the things that she said was, you know what, it's horrible to say, but this kind of chaos brings a ton of opportunity. Um, And there's a lot of opportunities for startups to actually start building products to actually help these larger companies make this transition right now.
1: So why don't you just take a couple minutes to give us your top five tips for how startups can Capitalize on the market opportunity. Um, my
2: tops. My top tips for a startup is always: it doesn't matter what I say; it matters what your customer says. Get away from your laptop. Get away from your computer and talk to a customer. Ask them what problems they have making money. Ask them if I solve this problem for you in making money, will you pay me? Um, and then figure out how many of those potential customers are there and if there's a bunch of them i think you actually have a really good startup idea and ultimately you know a startup serves to make money by enabling business by helping other people make more money adding value and creating value and growing wealth and you know there's a lot of companies that are actually struggling right now to actually do that. The trick a lot of times is how do you actually get connected to people who are decision makers who can actually tell you what their problems are. One of my favorite questions to ask people is what's your biggest pain in the butt? Where are your struggles? Next three to six months, if you had a magic wand, what would you change? Try to get at the heart of what's bothering people and then build a product. Another tip you know, and this is kind of the corollary to that is do not imagine customers. Imaginary customers have killed so many startups. And I have suffered this as well. Like, I'm like, ooh, there's this technology and we could do this and we could do that and we'll solve this and that and the other thing. And, you know, next thing you know, I'm on stage with a black mock turtleneck with, you know, my, my blue jeans giving a Steve Jobs' presentation saying, and we do this. You know, and this is how the world changes. And you have your reality distortion field in your mind, but it's all imaginary. And ultimately, all of that imagination comes crashing down when the customer doesn't show up because you never actually talk to them. Um, So try to spend half of your time talking to customers and half of your time building a product to solve those problems. Those are really just my go-to I'm also a fan of, you know, get to revenue as soon as possible. And if you can get to profitability, it's always easier to raise money when you don't need it. And how do you not need money? Well, sell things, sell the customers and have a product that's actually growing. Then if you actually need capital to really scale, it's a lot easier to go up and down Sand Hill Road to go to BC and say, hey, look. Every dollar I have in my company, my product, I sell $3 worth yeah. of product to my customer. And so if you give me a million bucks, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be able to turn that into 3 million bucks. It's that's the, that's the easiest way to actually raise money is how do you actually you know, get to the point where you're making enough in your company so that you don't need venture capital? Venture capital is a great tool in your arsenal, but ultimately it's not gonna solve the problem if you don't have customers and if people aren't buying from you.
1: It's great advice, Jonathan, and I, Always love talking to you. I know we're out of time on the regular part of the show. So thanks for being here. I need to have you come on more often.
2: My pleasure. Always happy to.
1: So Jonathan Nelson, Managing Director of the Hack Fund, founder of Hackers and Founders. Don't go away because Jonathan's going to come back with his predictions on the pivot. Any questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn, and we'll be right
0: back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888 828 SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your hosts, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders, welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Special guest today
1: has been Jonathan Nelson, managing director of the Hack Fund, as well as founder of Hackers and Founders. All throughout the show, we were talking about alternative investments, VCs, and startup advice. So, welcome back, Jonathan. Thank you much. So, on the pivot today, I want to talk about once we get through the new normal. I know it's going to take a little bit of time. What is your prediction? What does the actual world look like for both investors and startups?
2: I think the, where I'm placing bets is I think that the future of business is global. The future of business is digital. I think the future of business has to be diverse and I think it has to be green. And so one of the things that I think is happening that I don't think is going to change is remote teams and remote work. Um, you know, you're having Facebook saying that their companies, you know, all of their employees are going to work remote until 2021. Yep. Google is saying basically the same sort of thing. Twitter is saying their people are going to be able to work remote for
1: Definitely. Yep.
2: You know, I'm talking to investment banks, everybody that I think can work remote will be working remote. And so, what that does is all of a sudden, if I'm a really talented person in Mexico, I actually have a decent shot at getting a job at one of these tech companies. Or if I you know, have the skills and if I have the chops and I'm in Indianapolis, I actually have a decent shot at getting these jobs where a lot of times you had to be in Silicon Valley. And so I think cross borders is going to increasingly become blurred. Um, I think the employee base is going to be much more global. I think salaries for engineers are going to start climbing globally (laughs) just because you're still going to have a huge appetite for software engineers building new products. And the only places that I know where there's spare engineering capacity is in like Latin America, like Mexico, three hours south of here in Guadalajara, Mexico, you can get a great architect level engineer for like 30, 40 K a year. Which is bizarre. Like that's that is going to start normalizing. All of that arbitrage is going to be gone. Oh, uh,
1: when I when I'm advising startups, uh, one of my teams they have developers in Kenya and yep. Cuba and Eastern Europe. Yep. Uh, we also have teams in Malaysia, the Philippines, and it, it it was just like you said, talent shortage in North America, mm-hmm. and having to go outside to find the skills. And if the World Bank and the IFC have
2: actually put out data that says, you know, Latin American economy is going to grow about 2x the rate of the U.S. economy. Um, Africa is going to grow about 2.5 to 3x the size of the American economy. India is going to grow about 4x. The Middle East is going to grow about 2.5x. And, you know, Eastern Europe, um, China, they're all going to grow about 2x the rate of the U.S. and European markets are actually growing. And so that's why I think the future is global. And I think it's gotten a whole lot flatter right now. Um, Everybody's used to doing meetings on zoom now. um, And whereas before you had to like fly to New York and have a meeting with the senior exec, like that's, I don't think that's going to get back to normal anytime soon. Uh,
1: Travel in the U S is down by 90%. Yeah.
2: It's the the travel and hospitality industry is going to be gutted for several years, unfortunately, I think. Other things that I think are going to happen is, I I think doing that kind of cross-border business is going to, there's just going to be a lot of hiccups. You know, it's like paying somebody in Europe or paying somebody in the Middle East or paying somebody in Latin America, like cross-border finance and fintech is a giant pain in the butt. So we're spending a lot of time Are startups there that can actually help solve some of these problems of, you know, how do I do business in 10 different countries with 10 different currencies? You know, that I think is a huge opportunity um, in fintech. Um, We're doing, uh, we're actually starting to take a real long, hard look at, you know, uh, green and, you know, ag tech, biotech, life sciences, health tech you know, climate change is also a thing. I I think now we're starting to get, oh, this is what a global disaster actually looks like. Okay, let's start thinking about solving some of these problems. And so I think you're going to see a lot of Western governments, the United States, Europe, responding by promoting a ton of green tech and clean tech, transforming energy capacity, trying to decrease carbon. I think we're going to start looking at new ways of farming and producing food. Um, And so we're spending a lot of time kind of in that space. And then the diversity piece, you know, it's something that's been one of my drums that I've been beating for a long time. You know, we were name checked by the Obama White House on our work on diversity, but it's like less than 3% of venture funded startups have a woman founder, less than 1% have an African American or Hispanic founder. Like that's just ridiculous. You know, just the African-American economy in the United States is a trillion dollars a year. Hispanic market in the United States, $1.5 trillion a year. You need to invest in companies and founders that understand these global markets and that understand these markets. You know, 65% of household spending is directly done by the woman of the house and 95% of household spending is directly influenced by the woman of the house. Like a mama don't want to buy the car the car ain't getting bought, um, and so why aren't we funding women-led startups or companies with women founders? You know, the best data shows that diverse teams outperform you know monocultural teams run run by a bunch of dudes. Um, and so I think that we've got to actually start funding more women founders, more black founders, more Hispanic founders, because I think it's good business, and you're it gonna definitely, make more money. It,
1: Definitely is good business. I'm gonna have you come back on to talk more about that because we're totally out of time. Yep. But Jonathan, I always love having you on. Definitely we're gonna set up a follow-up because this is another topic we should really dive into. Happy to, Keith. Anytime
2: you want me to, I'd be happy to come back and continue the conversation, man. I always have a blast.
1: So Jonathan Nelson, managing director of the Hack Fund, you can find out about the Hack Fund by going to their website, or if it's easier, just email us at info at Best wishes to you. And any other questions or comments. Email us at info at svn.biz. We're on Facebook, Twitter, or
0: LinkedIn, and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Ku. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846. 888-828-SVIN.